What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast. This is Bill Allen. We just wrapped up our Seven Figure Flipping Accelerator live here in the studio. It was awesome. It was two days, Friday and Saturday of last week, and we had such a good time here. Everybody flew in or drove into the studio, got to hang out with all my friends, and we got to deliver some amazing content to you guys. We talked about mindset, we talked about marketing and KPIs, talked about sales, talked about virtual wholesaling, how to double your profits on uh, every deal that you sell. Uh, we talked about leaving your W-2 job. We brought up some speakers to tell their stories. So what changed for them over the past uh, few years and how uh, they can give you a tip of how you can go from where you are to where you want to be. And uh, Terry Berger, uh, he shared an amazing presentation about the current state of the market. And what I want to do is I want to let you behind the scenes if you missed it. And uh, I want you to listen in to Terry talk about the state of the market and what, where he thinks we're going. Terry's gonna be one of our speakers at Flip Hacking Live. This was a event leading up to Flip Hacking Live. It's about three months away. Actually, it's about 80 days away from right now to, uh, to get you going and get your mindset right, get you the tactics and strategies and techniques that you need to uh, go the next three months and basically run leading up to Flip Hacking Live. And if you don't have your ticket to Flip Hacking Live, you've got to get it. It's gonna be in Orlando, October 14th, 15th, and 16th. It's gonna be absolutely amazing. We're gonna have so much fun. We're back in person again. Finally, I cannot wait. So without further ado, I want to give you Terry Berger on his state of the market that he just did uh, this past weekend at our Seven Figure Flipping Accelerator. Enjoy. My name is Bill Allen, and I'm the leader of a group of elite house flippers and wholesalers called Seven Figure Flipping. We don't brag or show off our success, but instead let integrity and stewardship be our guide. We are dedicated to helping people unlock the freedom they desperately need. If you ask other real estate investors, they will say to keep your secrets quiet. But we believe in abundance, not scarcity. And that's why we are the elite. We are Seven Figure Flipping, and this podcast is our playbook. Hey, everybody. Good to see you. Let's see. All right. So I've got my bearings here. I can see all on the screen. The chat is there. Here's the deal. If you got something and I have time at the end, I'll answer it in the chat. As Bill said, um, kind of my claim to fame in the retail world is I walked over, I don't know, 10,000 houses with clients, particularly moms of kid, with kids and, and people that weren't married. And then I've sold over 1,000 houses in the retail, retail world. So I really feel like my superpower is understanding that retail consumer. And so what we're going to talk about today is how to find opportunities in the data that you're hearing, okay? So I'm going to grab my clicker here and we're going to get going here. Let's talk about what is fact versus fiction in the market today, okay? I'm gonna give you some common sense insights, but I need you to remember one thing. Data as it pertains to the housing market is nothing more than the measurement of both common and uncommon activity by people seeking their core need for shelter and safety. You see, if we can humanize the data, we're just tracking behavior for a core survival need, right? One of the core needs a human being has is to have a safe shelter, a roof over their head. And what we're doing when we're tracking housing data is that's what it goes back to, the humanization of this data. And if I can make you humanize it, I can make you win with the opportunities that come from that data, okay? So there are three questions I think we all might have. Number one, have we reached the peak? Is, it, is, this, the, is this a bubble? Like, are we in a real estate bubble? And where are the opportunities lying in this market, okay? So... Before we start, though, I want to challenge you. You cannot look at any real estate report that is coming out in the news media right now and compare it to last year. Why? 
Why would, you, why would I not want you to compare anything ever to last year? Because it's an anomaly, right? It, it, it's not normal. And you can't look at data and compare this year to last year and go, okay, well, this is up 55% or this is down 42% or whatever. All these drastic numbers that you're seeing in the news media today, why is the news media doing this to you or to me? Why? Well, it's competition. Do you guys remember, how many of you are old enough to remember when you had three channels on the television? Raise your hand really quick. Rob, I see you. Raise your hand, Rob. I know you're, you're my age. So um, Rob over at Lead Fusion, by the way. And here's the thing. I was the remote control. If we needed to change it, I was the remote control. Dad said, hey, go change it to five. Go change it to eight. Three, five, and eight is all we had. So three, five, and eight, those are the only competition that there was, those three major networks. And then all of a sudden, now you have like all kinds of channels with channels below channels, right? You have Disney Plus, and it's got Marvel, and National Geographic, and Disney, and all this other stuff. So whatever you're into, it's got all these sub-channels. There are competition for our eyeballs. If you, whatever news that you follow, like I follow Apple News, that's the news where I kind of get my news. If you look at it, it reads like a National Enquirer magazine, even for legitimate news. There's a, there's a fight for your eyeballs, and you have to look at everything and, and evaluate it and judge it, and I don't want you to use any reports that compared to last year, and I'm gonna tell you why. Okay, this is fact versus fiction today. You read the bullet points you wanna read, I'm just gonna point out a couple of them. Last couple, 55% of homes sold above the list price. Like, that's huge, right? And then the average sale to list price ratio is 102.4% this year over last. It's never been higher than 55% of homes selling above list price. That's like sets a record for the National Association of Realtors. That is what's happening live today in your markets, my markets. Now, there might be some cooling, there might be some things going on. We'll address that here in a second, okay? All right, who is our customer? It's really important, y'all, to understand who is your customer. If you're flipping houses, if you're wholesaling houses, or you're thinking about flipping and wholesaling houses, you have to understand who the customer is. Well, the Good folks over at the National Association of Realtors put this cool little report, and I'm gonna give it to you. It's 108 pages. You can read it all if you want to. I've read most of it, so I'm just gonna give you the one highlight that you need to know. You ready? If you're ready, let's see some cash flow emojis back here. Oh man, nobody's ready? Okay, well, I don't see the cash flow emojis. I'm just gonna trust that they're going on. All right, here we go. Who's buying right now? If you notice on this chart, 23% of gen, uh, millennials, 31 to 40. But if you add it all up, about 50% of the people buying houses right now are under 40 years of age, okay? Now, what can you understand in that? Well, I can take this data and I can say, okay, under 40 years old, what price points are they buying? You, if you're a wholesaler, like go talk to your flippers. Hey, you remember those 10 deals I sold you last year? Who bought those houses from you? How old were they? And that way you start to understand the market a little bit better. Flippers. Like, if you know where the millennials are moving into, if you know where the Gen Xers are moving into, if you know where people are moving, you can predict the future and look for opportunities in those markets, right? Millennials, they're looking for a good deal. Would you believe right now, if, if you ask millennials where they're moving, Detroit, Michigan comes up as one of the top 10 or 20 places every time? Akron, Ohio, my old hometown, what? I wouldn't move back to Akron. You could pay me a million dollars, I wouldn't move back to Akron, Ohio. I, I just don't like the cold. And, and believe it or not, the millennials are voting with their feet. Where are affordable areas to go? Austin, Texas is another huge one, right? They want things to do. So if you understand your buyer, you can look for opportunities in the market. 
Let's talk about pandemic-induced behavior. What did the pandemic do to real estate? And we're going to talk about this, and I'm going to go deep with you on this, okay? All right, so here we go. I want to show you what's happening. Every year, the post office puts together all of their change of address forms, and they compile the data, and they look at the data. And here it is. Ready? I'm going to show you how to read this chart. Take the left picture. I just only want you to take the left one. And you can see people are moving. I'm going to show you how to read this chart, okay? The first column on the left says large metro core. If you live in a large metro core and you moved, and you moved, the change of address data says that 30, about 38% of the people in that white line, see that white line right there? 2018, 19, a big spike in 2020. That white line corresponds with the, the, the legend above it. So white would be small rural town or rural area, right? 38% of the people said, I'm out of this, I'm out of here. I'm out of Los Angeles, I'm out of New York, I'm out of Atlanta, I'm out of wherever I am out of, and I'm moving to a small town or rural area. I need you to remember that. Okay, now look at the next one, the kind of the light gray line. That's they, uh, about 22% of the people moved into medium or small metros. And then you can see kind of the light, the lighter orange or the yellow, they moved into a large metro suburb. They just kind of moved out, probably moved within the same kind of big city area. And, but they just moved out in the suburb because they didn't have to commute anymore because of COVID. And then you can see the, the orange line, right? That they basically went from a large metro core to another large metro core. And that number on the left-hand side corresponds to the percentage of people that filled out a change of address form. So now you know where people are going, right? If you live in a large metro area, about 50%, 55% of the people are moving into a smaller market or a medium or small metro. Is that pretty cool? Like to know that data? And it's a big data set. Everybody who has filed a change of address form in the last three years. Look at the next one over, large metro suburbs. So you live in a large metro suburb. So for example, I live in the metro area of Atlanta and my metro suburb would be Kennesaw, Georgia. There's probably 30, 40, 50,000 people there. And this, it shows where these people have moved. A lot of them, 10, 12% moved into a small town. Got it? I'm gonna jump you over to the next one for the sake of time. What if you're from a medium or a small metro area? What if you're like Pensacola, Florida, Greenville, South Carolina, maybe Huntsville, Alabama, towns smaller than that? Look where they went. Not as many of them went anywhere, did they? Some said, hey, I'm gonna take my little market of Huntsville, Alabama, and instead of living there, I'm gonna go out another 15, 20, 30 miles. I'm, I'm moving to the rural areas, right? I'm gonna buy 10 acres and COVID can't get me there, right? Interesting, look at the last column. What do you think? Small town or rural areas, they actually are from a small town or rural area, where are they moving? They're not moving anywhere. They're staying exactly where they are. They seem to be pretty content, okay? Isn't that an interesting statistic? I mean, that, I love that right there. Let me do one more for you real quick. Atlas Van Lines puts together a move in, move out. So they take all their data, all their moves, and we would, we would say that Atlas is one of the largest movers in the country, right? And I'm gonna show you kind of what this means. I got a map, I got, the, I got the Canadians covered, I got the folks in Alaska covered, and Hawaii here. So if you look at this map, the red is balanced. Basically that red means you're within a 55%, 55-45 kind of ratio inside of that. Outside of 55-45, people moving out. Can you guess what it is based on California? All stuff we hear about California, what is it? People are moving out. More people are moving out than in. That's what yellow represents. And then blue represents more people moving in than moving out. Does that make sense? So if you're looking at this, at this map, look at California, right? It's the only place out west where people are moving out of. And where do you think they are going? 
Do you think they're going to Washington, Idaho, Nevada, Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas? Yeah, yeah, that's where they're going. And the news media backs that up too, doesn't it? It's pretty cool, right? Same thing with the Southeast. Look, the Midwest, people are leaving the Midwest and they're going to the Southeast. Really, really interesting stuff. High tax areas moving into low tax areas. Why? Because remote work. Okay, we're going to talk about this. Do you think, I'm going to run a little straw poll here for you. How many people believe that cities are coming back? Uh, do this. If you believe that cities are coming back, I want you to hit a fire emoji. And then if you believe they're not going to come back, I want you to hit a cash flow emoji. Can you do that for me? Okay. So I think, I think they will come back. It's just a matter of time till they come back. There's too much investment in the cities. I don't think we're going to see like all kinds of urban blight. I don't, I don't think anything crazy is going to happen. I think human beings have very, very, very short memories. And I honestly believe that once people get back out and we get this pandemic stuff behind us, people are going to move back into the cities because they want to walk to the restaurants. They want to do the things they do inside the city. Young people like cities. There's a lot of activity, a lot of things going on. Okay. Pretty interesting. All right. Let's talk about the job market. You can find opportunities. The job market is so strong right now, isn't it? How many people think it's super strong? Raise your hand. Come on. I see you. Raise your hand. How many people think it's not very strong at all? Raise your hand. Well, the job market is confusing, and here's why. I'm not going to focus on these bullet points. You read what you want to read, but let's just focus on a couple of them. If I work for IBM, and I'm a remote worker, right? 30%, 40% of their workers are working from remote locations, and I move to Boise, Idaho. Kind of Not even Boise. I'm going to move into a suburb of Boise, right? And then, But Amazon's building a huge facility in Boise. Is that employee... And that employer, a match. If they need warehouse workers, and I have an IBM computer programmer or a salesman or whatever, are those two things aligned? No, they are not aligned. And so what we have is we have 9 million unemployed and 9 million job openings exist, and you would think they would all come together and zero each other out. And they're not. And the reasons are right here in front of you. The really interesting fact, if you look at the bottom couple, 55% of the people want to work remote. Has anyone posted a work from home job recently? So we posted a lead intake position and we got 500 applications, 500 applications. We only put it in a couple of our markets, but people from all over the country were finding it because it had work from home. The other interesting bullet point here at the bottom is 70% of these job seekers uh, that are in the hospitality leisure industry are looking for jobs in different industries. Well, why would they do that? Like restaurants, they need people. Hotels need people. Why in the world... Would you want to go back to a job that when, when the rubber hits the road and trouble strikes, you're out, like you're out of work. You're the first person to get axed. That is the reason these people are trying to find other industries. Okay, Atlas Fan Lines, one more time. They put together this corporate relocation survey and they said, what's the future of work? They interviewed 400 people in small, medium, and large-sized businesses, and this is what they came up with. And again, you've got the bullet points you want to read here, but I'm going to focus on a couple of them. The last two again, half of the small firms expect their workforce to fully return to office and on-site location work. Larger firms only expect one out of three employees to fully return. Why would half of small firms, but only 30%, 33% of large firms want their people back to work? What do you think? Take a second. Think about that for a minute. Well, small businesses, aren't restaurants small businesses? Aren't... Um, 
a lot, most of business is small business, wouldn't you agree? And a lot of those landscaping companies, small business, they can't work remotely. So you have a lot of small businesses saying, hey, we need these people to come back because we depend on them to be here to come back. You wanna hear another hot button? Look at the last bullet point. 42% plan to require COVID-19 vaccination prior to employees returning to the office or location-based work. Now, I don't care which side, it's not political to me, vaccine, no vaccine, whatever. I don't believe in, in, in all that stuff. But what I'm saying is, how many of you think it's a hot button for sure? That this is going to be the, a civil war in the job market by having 42% of employers require a COVID-19 vaccination. That is going to be a major problem. Somebody's going to win that civil war. It's either going to be the employee or it's going to be the employer. It depends whose balance of power it tips towards, Right. Okay, so now we have work. We know how people move, right? We said data is, we're gonna humanize this data and we're gonna take it to the next step, which is, let's talk about forbearance. Obviously, the pandemic-induced behavior includes forbearance, right? How many people think we're just kicking this can down the road? I kinda do. I think it's possible we're just moving an event, a real estate event, down the path just to see we shouldn't have it now, let's have it later, or maybe we won't have it later because we can tweak a few more dials with the economy and the governing gov uh, rules and laws and all that kind of stuff. Okay, let me tell you what I know. Now, I'll, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give you kind of a, a disclaimer here. I put this presentation together about six, seven days ago. So I haven't checked the news since. I've been on the go. We had, a, um, we had an event out in Salt Lake City or Park City, Utah. And then as soon as I got back home, a couple days, I'm back up here to speak to you guys. So this data is at least a week old. I try to have the freshest stuff. But here's what I know. The eviction foreclosure ban is going to end 731-2021. Those of you that are actively wholesaling right now and flipping and have your own lead gen, how many of you guys feel like you're getting more calls right now? Okay. I feel like our office has a little bit more buzz. It's not a lot, it's just a little bit. And I think the reason it's a little bit is because of this looming 731-2021 deadline, okay? If it's, if it's out there, people are like, hey, does it really happen? And do they think they're gonna, are they gonna foreclose on me now? Well, let's look at this one. Uh, this is crazy. The FHA deadline for the first legal action is 180 days from that 731 date. What is first legal action? now? This one, guys, I'm trying to get to the bottom of, but this is what I believe based on the research that I've done. The first legal action is basically a bank saying, I'm gonna send a notice of foreclosure, okay? The reason FHA extended it was so that we could take the mistakes we learned from the past in the Great Recession, bring them forward, and try to give the banks and servicing companies time to work with their customers. And they're going to do that in a couple of ways. They're going to offer this COVID-19 ALM. It's a home modification program. And it has to be offered to all homeowners by their lender if they were in forbearance for 90 days or more. Now, this is where becoming an expert on this stuff, like if you are a salesperson or if you're a an owner of a company and you're taking all the calls, like having the ability to walk people through their options would be great, right? Because you could say, well, man, why don't you just go ahead and do a loan modification. Oh, I tried to do that, I can't qualify. Is that person more motivated now that you've asked that question? Absolutely. Is that person more grateful if you've pointed them to a solution that isn't selling their home at a rock bottom price? 
I mean, I want to do good by people. So I want to give them all the options. If they want to sell to me, I want to buy their house. But at the end of the day, if I can help them stay in their home, if that's what they want to do, I'm going to give them these options. Now, this is very similar to the stuff that we saw back in the last recession. They're just trying to work with people. Not everybody is going to be able to modify their loan. But check this out. Let's assume that in 2017, you got an FHA loan or a conventional loan. I don't care. And it was 5% because there was some, some teetering back and forth in that time, four and a half up to 5%. And, um, and you've always paid your bills on time. And then all of a sudden, the, the, this happens, um, the pandemic happens, you're out of work, and you go into forbearance. You go into forbearance, and you're in forbearance for 90 days, and you go to do this loan modification. Guess what these people get to do? They get to modify their loan to today's interest rate. 2.9, 3%, whatever it happens to be. They get to knock a couple of percentage points off their rate and they get to benefit from some lower payments and they get to stay in their houses, right? Does that help avoid a catastrophic real estate event? I certainly think it does if it works the way that it's supposed to. Okay, one more. FHA, VA, Freddie, and Fannie borrowers can start a new forbearance plan up until September of this year. I bet you didn't know that. Like if you're struggling to make your payments, you can start forbearance today all the way through September 30th, apply for it, and then you have six months, okay? Now, how, based on what I just gave you there, how many people think that we're gonna see a ton of foreclosures? Raise your hand. How many people don't think we're gonna see a ton of foreclosures? No, we're not gonna see foreclosures, why? What, what do people have today that they did not have in 2009? Somebody put it in the chat. What do people have today that they did not have in 2009? That's right, equity, Indianapolis Flipper, Brad Reed, you got it, Scott. Equity, people have equity right now. That's a good thing for us because if you're starting to market to people that might be in forbearance, right? If you can figure out how to do that, then you can start laying the groundwork. Now, does that mean it's gonna stay that way forever? No, we don't know what 2022 is gonna bring, but if we're kicking the can down the road and we think that there might be an opportunity for a thunderstorm of real estate to happen in 2022, I would certainly wanna be marketing to people who had loans that might be in forbearance. I don't know where to get that list right now. Um, I don't know if it's available. I don't know if ListSource will have it. I have no idea. But if there's a way for you to figure that out, that would be a really cool thing to do. Pre-foreclosures are going to be huge, right? Because I think there's going to be a lot of banks that are saying, hey, we're going to have to file the foreclosure. People aren't going to go to foreclosure because they're going to sell because they have the magic thing, equity, and that they're going to avoid that foreclosure event which is great for them because it avoids the, the credit problems for seven years. It avoids all of the headaches that come with it. But they, do, they have equity, and I do believe banks are going to file for foreclosure, which is going to make you rich because you can go out and market to pre-foreclosures and try to get some deals, okay? That's an opportunity. All right, last thing on this. There's a one-time three-month extension if you had a forbearance from July 1st to September 30th. So if you're a landlord sitting out here or somebody that's in forbearance, you can extend for three more months because that was not available to you, I don't believe, back in July through September of last year. All right, have we reached the peak? That's one of the questions we need to answer today, right? Well, it's interesting. Google Trends basically says that real estate is in decline, the search for real estate. So here's one for you. That Now, this is actually current. Uh-oh. Come on, Bitsy. Let's see if we got a bits of battery. Andre, we got it. Uh-oh, I saw the spinning beach ball of death. All right, you know what? 
I got you guys. I got backup. Until we get that squared away. All right, just give me the thumbs up when we can be good here. Okay, so Google Trends. Google Trends, I pulled the last five years for Google Trends. And Google Trends kind of, I'm going to kind of draw it out for you. Oh, I can draw. This is awesome. All right, you guys ready? So this is kind of what it looks like. Okay, this is what I call the real estate cycle. Okay, got that? So this down here is, I think, 2000 and, I think this is 2015, and this is 2021. Okay, now what we have going on here is this kind of up and down motion. What is happening, uh, let's see, what is happening right now is this number right here, this is a normal number, is starting to come down to 2018 and 2019 levels. So I'm gonna draw this and I'm gonna put 2018, 2019, and you're starting to see the Google Trends dip down into 2018 and 2019. Remember when I told you guys not to compare to last year's market? That's what I mean. 2018 and 2019, we have um, normal cycle. 2020, all over the map. And then now we're settling back in in 2021 to these kind of 2018, 2019 numbers. And let me ask you a question. If you were around in 2018, 2019, and you remember the real estate market, was it a good market? Yes or no? How many people think it was a good market? Sure, yeah, I see a lot of nodding heads right now. It was, it was a great market, 2018, 2019. I would tell you that there was an inventory problem in 2018 and 2019. First one to answer this one in chat, I don't know what I can give you, but if you answer this in chat, what, if 2018, 2019 was a normal market, what was our problem back then? What problem did we have in 2018, 2019? Go ahead and type in the chat. Somebody said interest rates, that's kind of, kind of, yeah, rates were a little higher. Inventory, Scotty, you got it again, man. That's two in a row, dude. Inventory, we had an inventory crisis back in 2018, 2019. Look, we started this inventory crisis back in 2009 and 2010, didn't we? Remember what happened back then? The market crashes, what are banks not gonna do? They're not gonna lend to builders. They're not gonna lend to investors. Well, these are the two types of people that can save the housing market, correct? So they're not lending to these people. If they're not lending to these people, we are creating an inventory problem that is gonna come back 10 years later and people were writing about it back then and we have it now. This is not a pandemic problem. It is a problem that stems from the previous recession, okay? And that's what Google Trends is telling us. We're just dipping back down to normal levels. But if you read the news media, oh my gosh, the sky's falling, real estate's crashing, the world's coming to an end. Why? Oh, because we're back to 2019 again. What's wrong with that? Nothing, okay? All right, let me move to the next one here. Mortgage applications. There's something you guys can watch for opportunities. Mortgage applications. Oh, thank you, guys. Appreciate that. Um, all right. So there's the Google Trends report. They can see that, right? Yep, there's a the Google Trends report, you all see it? And let me just kind of go back real fast here and show you. You see, this is 2019, August of 2019. And then um, this is like 2020, this is kind of like this big wave of a peak. And you see where we are here? See this? Let me take this, take this over and you can see, it's back to 2019, 2018. We're good, people. There's no bubble. It's just getting back to normal, okay? All right. Let's move on. Redfin, mortgage applications. If you watch the Mortgage Bankers Association, 
You could freak out every single day because mortgage applications are all over the place. Now let's just humanize this data for a second. Let me ask you a question. <laughs> Knowing how hot the market is today, this is the big question I'm gonna ask you. You have a choice to make. One, uh, Luke, Luke, there you are. Luke, uh, is it Payhell or Pahel? I can't read without my glasses. Okay, all right, Luke. So Luke's got a choice to make here. One, he can continue looking for a house and have, has 20 offers on it, right? Number one. Or number two, the restrictions are lifted in Hawaii and he and his wife have canceled the trip to Hawaii for the last two years because of the pandemic. And for a little bit longer than that, Hawaii had some really strict standards and he couldn't do that. How many of you are gonna to continue to beat your head against the wall and find a house if you don't need to move? Like you'd like to move, but you don't have to move? Or how many of you are gonna to go to Hawaii? How many people say I'm gonna look for a house because I like pain? Raise your hand. How many people are gonna choose the Hawaii option because you like pleasure and you like Hawaii? Yes, we're gonna go on vacation. So when you watch the mortgage applications rise and fall, humanize it. What is happening? Why did they dramatically reduce week over week? Well, it's because people wanna go on vacation. Is that so bad? Now, where I will tell you, the mortgage applications help you when you look at them in a series of weeks. Six, eight, 10 weeks. Let me see what happened. Week, 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 week for 10 weeks. And oh, it's trending. I see trending. Now I see trending. And I see trending mortgage applications going down, but I also see trending listings going up. Do you think there might be some cold air pressure and warm air pressure over the Atlantic happening and getting ready to cause a little bit of a thunderstorm, okay? Could be a small one, no big deal, right? But those are the, that's the way you watch the mortgage application data for opportunities, okay? All right, real quick, this is pending sales. Again, I'm gonna go back to my never compare your reports to last year, but if you look at this chart, this is exactly what we're, I wanna show you. You see the blue and gray lines there, the three that are kind of together, that's 2018, 19, and or I'm sorry, 17, 18, and 19. You see the red line, that's 20, that's pandemic. And then you see the yellow line or the orange line, that's 2021 so far, year to date, right? So that arrow points to June 27th, the day I pulled that report. Let me ask you something. Forget the space between the blue grayish cluster and the yellow cluster. How many people see that that trend line is going in the same direction? Raise your hand. Yeah, it totally is. Totally is in the exact same direction. It's following the same trajectory. The only problem is you have a big space and that big space is caused by what? Answer in the chat. Why do you think that big space is there? We have no inventory, but we have more houses selling. Why, why, why? Tell me, I wanna see it in the chat. Interest rates, that's right, interest rates. Like you can get a cheaper house. We're in a payment culture, people. Like the, gen the millennials, they are trained to be in a pay payment culture. So here's the deal. If I bought a $300,000 house at 5% and I, or a $370,000 house at 0.8%, more than likely the payment is gonna be lower on that $375,000 house, right? We can still get a low payment because of the rates. That's exactly what this is indicative of. It's still showing the same normal trend line, but that's the reason there's the huge gap. Right? And the other thing is, let me challenge you to do this. I, I covered this with the altitude folks. So let me, what color do I want? I want green. Okay, you see this line right here? See that? Okay, if you push that up, so let's say that line moves and goes right here. What happens to this line? More than likely. What's it gonna do? What do you think? It's gonna move down, right? It's gonna fall down because this little trough right here is the reason that all of this exists in the first place. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay, I gotta keep moving.
All right, again, the news, oh, the market's crashing, the market's crashing. These are actually all the homes sold in Redfin. And, um, and you can see, like, this is, I think, the, uh, the end date was 627. So the end of June ends right here. The trend lines are very similar, though, again, aren't they? Look, trend, now, now this one's a little bit interesting because the sales have dipped down to this kind of 2018, 2019 level, um, whereas they were lower. You can see the red line right there. So I'm telling you, you're following a normal trajectory, but this one, let me clear this out again real fast. This little spot right here is going to be worth watching for the next couple of months. Is it going to go up and follow along here, or is it going to kind of fall down below here? We don't know. It'll be interesting to watch. Okay, next slide. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Andre, we're having issues again. Sorry, man. This is no big deal. I'm just going to point you to a tool at the end that allows you to pull. How many would like a tool that you can go in and pull all of this data based on your metro area? You can look at it nationally. You can look at it, and, and it's in real, real time. I mean, I love Redfin, right? That's what Redfin does. Anybody know about this data? Redfin's got this kind of research arm, and I'll just, I'm going to make sure that the link is given to the seven-figure flipping folks and that you guys can get that data and pull it at any time. If we can bring it up, I'll show you the video of how it works. But if not, that's okay. One more thing. Uh, emerging housing markets. Again, on this particular slide, the Realtor.com and the Wall Street Journal have kind of got synced up together and put a report together of the 100 most emerging markets in real estate. So let's say you're a virtual wholesaler right now and you want to go into four or five markets, right? Four or five markets. So let's talk about what those might be. Well, I want to know where real estate is actually happening. Where's a good place to live? Where, where, they have low ta where are people moving? People are moving. They want low taxes. They want affordable housing, whatever it is that they want, right? And so uh, let's see. Can they see that, Andre? That's fine. You can just leave it right there if it's going to work. I'd rather than just see the raw part. Okay. All right. Can you all see that? Yeah, there it is. Okay. You see it there? So um, this, this, all these tabs up here, this video won't play for some reason, but all these tabs up here are, you can go in and click on home sold, new listing to medium price, medium sale price. And then under that region type, there's probably 150 regions. It's amazing. Okay. Let's go on to the next slide if we can. And uh, the emerging markets, I'm going to make sure you get the hundred most emerging markets that show, believe it or not, like someplace in Montana is the biggest emerging market right now. Can you believe that? Boise, Idaho, it's not San Diego, California. It's not Miami Beach. It's places where people want to go and get away. And it is really interesting in our culture today that people are like, I'm out. I'm checking out. I'm moving out. I'm trying to get out a little bit further away. And I think that's what the pandemic has done for us is given us the ability to do that. Now, what's going to be interesting? What's going to be interesting moving forward is we've got to watch the job market like we talked about. We've got to watch for opportunities regarding all these loan modifications and everything else. And you need to be able to sift through that data so it bubbles up, right? I read hundreds and hundreds of pages of data. And here, let me tell you how I look at it. I wait for something to bubble up and help me predict the future. That's it. That's the reason I do it. I mean, I like it. I kind of nerd out on it. But if I can have something bubble up, and I can share it with the people in the mastermind, and they can go win, like, it's an amazing, it's an amazing thing. So um, I think we solved these three problems for you today. We figured out, number one, 
Have we reached the peak? I don't think we have necessarily reached a peak. Um, I think that we are just starting to get back to normal. And normal, if we go back to 2017, 18, and 19, are pretty decent for us from a real estate investing standpoint. Number two, are we in a bubble? I don't think there's a bubble. I personally don't believe that there's a bubble. We have a supply and demand problem. That's not a bubble. Let's look at the last bubble that burst overnight, basically, right? That last bubble, what did it do? Last bubble had a problem because we had all of these weird mortgages out there, no down payment, no doc loans, right? That is causing a, a frenzy that cannot be continued. Right now, people still have to be putting some money down. I am starting to see some really crazy liberal loan products out there. So when you start kind of seeing some things, you'll kind of, I think you'll know when we're in a bubble. And where are the opportunities? Hopefully I proved that to you today that you can find some opportunities. I'll make sure you get the emerging housing market report. I'll make sure you get all the other resources that were in here. We'll, we'll supply the links for you and make sure you get everything that you need. Now, I have Ray finished early, so I have seven minutes until Bill pulls me off. I'd like to see if there's any questions in the chat. I'll be I'm happy to answer for the next two or three minutes, okay? Anybody got a question? That's right, Dwayne. Dwayne's got the link right there, redfin.com forward slash US housing dash market. Anything else? Now's your chance. Down in the post office data, go down into the market level. Does the post office data, that is an excellent question, Molly. I really don't know. Um, I saw that in an article, I, I dug a little deep into it, but I didn't go so deep to know who put that data together. Uh, I'm assuming it does. You might want to check census.gov or just go to the post office and just Google a few things and see what you can come up with. What would you do right now as a brand new investor? Uh, that's a great question. It just depends what your goals are. What are you passionate about, um, Renee? Like to me, it's important that you, if you're jumping into real estate, that you do what will motivate you and be passionate about. Uh, do you anticipate inflation cause interest rates to rise and rental rates to go up? Um, you're welcome. Any that, Brad, you're welcome. Uh, let's see. Inflation causing interest rates to rise. Our government right now is keeping our economy in check with the housing market. Would you agree? We're we, get, we get to win this time. In 2008 and 2009, 2010, we got to lose. So I would say that rates are going to stay low as long as humanly possible until they feel like everything else can be balanced out. When you start to see job, the job market get back to kind of level playing field, I think you're going to see that. How do we track changes in inventory, housing starts? Housing starts, you can go to uh, the National Home Builders Association, and with just regular inventory, that Redfin tool will do all that you need. Uh, let's see. Sorry, they're coming up so fast. I can't, they, they disappear before they come up. Oh, California. This is a great one, Craig. Great question. If you're in California, if buyers continue to leave the state, will values go down at all in California? Um, it depends on how many people are leaving the state and what kind of inventory crisis you have. When you have more inventory than you have buyers, you get past that six month of inventory, yeah, you're gonna see uh, prices start to go down. Um, Renee, was that you? Did you say you were passionate about affordable housing? Then dive into that. Okay, great. If, you're, if your passion is affordable housing, Renee, I would go talk to my county officials because that's their passion. Figure out what the counties are willing to do for you as an, a real estate investor when it comes to affordable housing. It could be opportunity zones, whatever it happens to be. It could be shared housing. Find that niche 
And I promise you, you will be the only one or one of a very small handful of people in it. Why? Because you had to go talk to somebody at the county level and you figured it out. They want to help you figure it out. You want to do it. I think that's a perfect marriage. How are wholesalers competing with iBuyers? Oh, man. Uh, we moved markets because of an iBuyers. It's hard. Not going to lie. I will tell you, if you want to compete with an iBuyer, you better have the relationship. And you need to understand the iBuyer at its core. Every iBuyer is different. But let's say Open Door, for example. Open Door Capital, there's certain houses they won't buy. Will they buy a house before 1960 in your market? No? Then market for houses before 1960. Take, cut your competition out at the knees by using their weapon against them. What won't they do? And then you do the opposite, and that might be helpful for you, okay? Do you think we're going to, uh, Jacob uh, asks, do you think we're going more toward a renter nation? I think supply and demand is causing us to be a renter nation. I mean, how many of you have rentals and you're, you're raising your rental rates? I had one rental property. I, I got to go up $400 on it. It was unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. And um, the reason is because supply and demand. Eventually, what will happen is people will vote with their feet. They will stop looking for a house. Inventory will rise. Prices will stabilize or go down. And, and interest rates will level out. I mean, that's just what's going to happen. How those dials get turned, that's not up to us. All we have to do is pay attention. Okay? Well, last couple here, and then Bill, you're up, buddy. Um, will companies like Blackstone be successful buying huge amounts of residential home and like post-2008? Post okay, let's talk about this, because there's a lot of bad press on big companies buying huge amounts of residential homes. So D.R. Horton got a bad rap because they bought a subdivision in Texas, right? And I think there was some reputable organization said, hey, you're, you're, you're competing with, with iBuyers or you're competing with investors. That's not true. They bought the land, they paid a builder, builder to develop it, and now they're renting brand new houses, okay? Again, be careful what you read. Tony, this one's big. I, I actually talked about this. Uh, the Wells, Wells Fargo closing lines of credit. I will tell you, Wells Fargo, as you know, close their lines of credit, and they say they're gonna focus more on their credit card business, which makes no sense because it's unsecured funds. But just watch the banks. If the banks are closing lines of credit, to me, that means they don't believe that the equity is really equity, okay? So I'm just watching and I'm paying attention. If I could just convince you all to do one thing, that is to pay attention. That doesn't mean you have to sift through 200 pages worth of data, it doesn't. It just means you need to pay attention and you need to run everything through a bunch of different lenses so that you can have the good stuff rise to the top and help you find opportunities. I'm Terry Berger. It was an honor being with you today. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll catch you next time. All right, that was one of the favorites from the Seven Figure Flipping Accelerator Live that we just did, and I know why. I just had the opportunity to listen to that again, and Terry is amazing, absolutely amazing. So everything that he says, I listen to, I take notes, and I put into action. So Terry, thank you so much for doing that. Thank you so much for taking the time to put a presentation like that together for everyone. And uh, if you guys want to see Terry again, go to fliphackinglive.com and grab your ticket. Don't wait. Get your ticket. The prices are going to go up really, really soon uh, for Flip Hacking Live. And if you're at the Accelerator, you know that we got something special for you guys. Don't miss the opportunity to take advantage of that. So uh, everyone out there, get your ticket to Flip Hacking Live. Come see us October 14th, 15th, and 16th in Orlando, Florida. It's an amazing resort. We're gonna have somewhere in the range of about 20 speakers. We're gonna go early morning, late evening, networking sessions, breakout sessions. We're gonna have some uh, some VIP lunches. Some uh, We're working on all this stuff right now. It's gonna be absolutely amazing. And 
I want to see you there. So go to fliphackinglive.com, grab your tickets, and I'll see you guys on the next podcast. Bye.